Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 117 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is Corey Quinn. Corey has a history as an engineering manager, a public speaker, and an advocate for cloud strategies. He specializes in helping companies control and cost optimize their AWS cloud footprint without disrupting the engineers using it. So Corey, can I ask you to expand on that brief intro and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Certainly. Uh, Professionally, I'm a cloud economist. Two words no one can define, therefore no one ever calls me on them. But I've spent uh, over a decade now, first as an SRE or equivalent to back what we called systems administrators once upon a time. And over the years, I varied back and forth between individual contributor work to managing teams. And for the last couple of years, I've run my own company. People probably are more familiar with my newsletter, Last Week in AWS, which gathers news from the Amazon cloud ecosystem and then makes fun of it. Uh, First career tip, don't make fun of giant companies. It makes you less employable than you'd think. (laughs) Yes, true. (laughs) You also have a podcast, I believe, as well. I do. Screaming in the cloud, which is, despite the title, not as snarky as one might expect. Right. Okay. And I presume everybody can pick that up on uh, Apple Podcasts or... Wherever fine snark is sold. Absolutely. It's in Overcast. It's in Apple Podcasts. It's wherever people want to find me. There I am. Great. So, Corey, can you perhaps share a career tip with the IT Career Energizer audience, one they may not know and perhaps should? Make sure you don't lose sight of the business value that you provide to your employer. Uh, One of the reasons that I found success fixing the AWS bill has been because people lose sight of the fact that when you work at a startup and you get all these wonderful perks, you still need to generate more value than you cost. And working on optimizing your spend on your infrastructure is an unpleasant reminder to some people that they're someone else's cost center. Having to continually identify yourself as generating value for what you're paid is not necessarily a pleasant mental exercise to go through, but you lose sight of that sort of at your own peril. If you wind up costing extortionate piles of money, when the next round of layoffs come, you're going to be relatively near top of the list for evaluation. Make sure that whatever it is you're being paid, you're generating more value than that. It's a simple concept, but it's very hard to keep sight of day to day. Sure. I mean, for some individuals who aren't necessarily in a role where they can actually visualize the value of what they do, how would you suggest they may be able to evaluate that cost or value add? The best way I've ever found is to ask questions and have frank conversations with people at my company, people externally. It it comes down to an idea of mentorship. Finding a mentor is one of those challenging things that no one really tells you how to do. But talking with your boss, it's not admitting weakness. It's not expressing a sentiment they'd never heard before to say, so help me understand, you pay me X dollars a year. How does the company realize benefit from having me here? 
there's a fear that goes along with that. But I promise your boss is not going to pop their head up and say, holy crap, you're right. Today's your last day. This is not a surprise <laughs> to the company. Being sure that you're aligned with how your value is perceived by your employer is critical. Because if it turns out that you're viewed as an insurance policy to keep the site from going down, to use a simplistic example, and you're misaligned and you think your value is in saving money on the cloud bill, you're going to be focusing on things that aren't being measured, aren't being valued, and in many respects are going to detract from the way that your company perceives the value you bring. It sounds obvious in hindsight, and it is, but the best advice is always obvious once you know it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, can you maybe tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Well, I'll give you a recurring moment that happened scattered throughout my career. And that is when you sit down to have a one-on-one with your boss and there's someone there you don't know very well who works in HR and they don't offer you coffee. It's the surprise you're getting fired conversation. And to some extent, if you're surprised when you're getting fired, your company has failed. As a manager myself, I've always found that people need to know where they stand. And if they don't, that needs to either be because they are so oblivious that even being very direct with them hasn't generated a result, or you have failed. Those are really the two ways that I see that breaking down. And in my case, I've been let go for a variety of reasons. Uh, Contrary to what people might expect from my newsletter, it hasn't been for mouthing off at the wrong time to the wrong person as much as you might think. But it comes down to misalignment of what the business found valuable versus what I was focusing on. Uh, In some cases, cultural mismatches. And it's one of those horrible moments just when you don't see it coming. That said, as soon as you're out and you're free and you're clear, there's a bit of a sense of relief of weight being lifted from you. But there's nothing quite like sitting down in a room and being told you're being let go. Oh, it's just business. Don't take it personally. That's nonsense. It's one of the most personal conversations you're ever going to have, where not only does the company not like you, they don't like you enough to tell you you're not allowed to come back anymore. And that hurts. And because no one talks about that, people go through the getting fired process and they feel like they're a loser. They're not. This happens to more people than it doesn't. But it's one of those failures that no one is very upfront about most of the time. I've been fired by my count five or six times over the course of my career. Has the process ever got any easier for you or do you feel the same way every time? It's gotten easier in that I know what to do next rather than... um, screaming and crying and spending three weeks staring in a funk. But it's not easier emotionally at the time that it happens because it is to some extent a failure. The weird thing is, is every job that we have is going to end at some point, unless we die at our desk, which I do not recommend, you're going to leave either because you're going somewhere else and resigning or the company is changing and you're no longer a fit for the role you're in. And We try and turn a blind eye to that, but realistically speaking, when you're no longer a fit, it is time to move on. It's just sometimes painful to be told that explicitly in such a way that, oh yeah, while we're having this conversation, someone else is cleaning out your desk. (laughs) Yes, not ideal, no. Not generally. (laughs) 
Do you um have you ever experienced a a situation where perhaps the company has moved on and the role that you're performing is no longer as valuable as it was previously? I wouldn't necessarily say that it was that the role I was performing was not as valuable, but I would absolutely say that the role I was performing had radically shifted. Yeah. Um I've been in environments where I'm the first operations hire in IT side startups. And when you join a company and you're employee number 12 and when you leave and you're and there are now over 200 employees there, the entire company has changed. There've been enough inflection points that the thing that I was brought in to do is no longer even slightly relevant to the things the company needs now. This also slightly falls into the trap of what makes me a good consultant slash crappy employee. I'm great at turnaround situations. I'm great at solving very difficult problems rapidly. And I'm rubbish at ongoing maintenance of an existing system. If I need to come in and fix something, great. Absolutely there. We can do a turnaround situation in a matter of months and everyone's thrilled with. Cool. Now that you've done that, sit there and just handle the care and feeding of the environment now for the rest of your time here. I get bored. I get itchy. And that's no longer fun. Yeah. I think you're you're not alone in that, definitely. Okay. So moving away from your worst IT career moment, can you maybe tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path on this one. And I have a friend who has recently changed jobs again, uh, who used to be a coworker of mine. When I started talking about things I felt as far as IT careers and advice I wish I'd had when I was starting my career, she listened and asked if she could take me out for a cup of coffee. And I said, sure. This turned into a semi-regular occurrence. And she winds up reaching out to me every few months now to ask for advice on her career and credits me with some of her success erroneously. But it's incredibly flattering to hear that I've shifted someone's career trajectory for the better. I'm not sure I believe it, but I take a look at everything else I've done from a technical perspective of having built out interesting architectures or saving clients large piles of money, and it sort of pales in comparison to having helped someone develop in their career in whatever small capacity that may have been. That's the one thing I sort of miss as a consultant today, where I don't get to be in the same mentoring type of role that I would add as an employee. So, Corey, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT in particular? For me, it's that the barrier to entry is, if not lowering, it's at least changing. Back when I got into this, if you wanted to build out a company environment, you were either paying a lot of money to a fairly mediocre VPS provider, or you were buying a bunch of equipment and throwing it in racks. Now you're getting a credit card, and for less than 10 bucks, you're up and running on a large cloud provider. Anyone can play with this type of equipment now. And the polish behind all of this and the ease that you can wind up working with some of these tools means that it's no longer something that we can't have a test lab at home for. I remember spending enormous piles of money with my own quarter rack, with buying servers to rack into it, just to do ridiculous things like running a mail server. Now it's the sort of thing where it's click, click, done, and you're able to start working on whatever it is that interests you from a technology perspective. That is not slowing down, and I don't think that that's ever going to reverse in the way that it once did. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think um, the advent, I think, originally of virtualization, then obviously a movement to the cloud has definitely uh, accelerated that process. And I, I think, personally, that more and more companies are going into the cloud 
as a longer term solution now and, and less concerned about maybe the security issues that exist around it. I think that's a lot of the reasons companies have been reluctant to go down that route so far. Is that something you've seen yourself? I think that we've all seen companies shying away from cloud providers. And that used to be a much more defensible position in roughly 2012 or so. Now in 2019, we're at a point where a company says, we're not comfortable trusting our data in the cloud from a security perspective. And the response is a very reasonable, well, why not? Your bank is okay with that. The people, Your investors backing this are absolutely okay with that. Your regulatory body is, and your tax authority is. So what data do you have that is so much more sensitive than all of their data that you seem to think you will do a better job of protecting that in an on-premise environment than you would in a cloud provider? That is increasingly becoming a difficult question to answer. That's not to say that cloud is a perfect fit for every use case. It absolutely is not. Some workloads are not and will not be a fit as best I can see. But they are becoming increasingly edge and corner cases rather than something you see commonly. Yep. Okay, we're going to move into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about the way you think. So you ready for this? Absolutely. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I was working as a not very successful IT recruiter, and I got tired of placing people into roles that I thought I could do better than they could for significantly more money than I was making at the time. I figured I'd give it a try and see what happened. Yep. How long ago was that? 14 years. Right. Okay. Quite a while. (laughs) And what is the best career advice you've received? talk less, listen more. I still struggle to wind up uh, embodying that from time to time, but it's absolutely something that has served me well when I can remember it. No one ever listened themselves into having to apologize. Very true. Yes. If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? Something radically different than what I did. The things that I learned and felt were valuable, uh, operating system internals, networking, the fundamentals of storage, are still valuable in edge cases, but they're not the prerequisite to success that they once were. I'd probably instead focus on something else, such as learning to code. That is, hands down, one of the best IT moves you can make, regardless of what specialty within this very broad field you're focusing on. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Continuing to grow my business at this point. That means that Counterintuitively, I am writing almost no code professionally. It's all in the sales and marketing arena. The technical implementation stuff is no longer a luxury that I can spend a lot of time on, for better or worse. It's changing how I self-identify, and it's changing my view of the entire sector. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend this for people who are looking to be a full-time employee as an IT practitioner, but for those of you who are starting your own businesses or becoming consultants, you probably understand what I'm getting at. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Storytelling, hands down. Regardless of what it is you're doing, you need to be able to tell a story about it in a way that resonates with the business, that resonates with your clients, that resonates with your peers. We should go ahead and deploy Kafka. Okay, why? There has to be a story about that, of the pain that not having it winds up causing the relief that bringing it in, why investing the time and resources to bring that up to speed is worth investing, and so on and so forth. Uh, It's just better. Code speaks. 
isn't remotely true in almost every culture. You have to build a narrative, and people lose sight of that. That manifests itself as well as being able to talk on, at conferences, at on podcasts, at meetups, etc. But we all have conversations. No one winds up only communicating with their peers via pull requests that I've ever met. Yeah, that is great. I, I totally agree. Stories are a fantastic way to communicate ideas and uh, and really communicate solutions as well. Absolutely. Corey, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career Energizer audience? Every three months, pull up your resume or LinkedIn or whatever it is you're using and update it. Figure out what bullet points you've added in the past three months and what you want to add in the next three. If you're coming at this from a perspective where you have nothing to add for the last three months, well, figure out why that is. Figure out whether you're growing or whether you've stalled. You don't want to wind up having stayed at a company for 15 years and gotten one year of experience that you repeat 15 times. When I talked to someone who was putting their resume together to interview for another job after six years, they couldn't remember what they did years three through four. So for those two years, they may as well not have been there at all. It comes down to making sure that you're intentional with your career choices. Keep interviewing, keep practicing, and keep finding different rooms to be in. Yep. That's good advice. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? I am very active on Twitter as QuinnyPig. That's Q-U-I-N-N-Y-P-I-G. And of course, lastweekinaws.com if you want me in your inbox every Monday, which I assure you, you do. <laughs> Corey, thank you so much for taking part in the IT Career Energizer podcast. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, Phil. Likewise. A quick thank you again to my guest on today's show for sharing their career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. Now that there are three new episodes of the show every week, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss out. And don't forget to join the new IT Career Energizer community group in Facebook. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be great to hear from you and to learn about your own career journey, your successes, opinions, and thoughts on the future of the industry. Thanks for supporting the show. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.